836, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I've been getting a number of emails wondering what is the actual number. The number is 73396. If you were listening to the program yesterday, I was talking about how um, I, I accumulate change in these two drawers, and, and I noticed, and we discussed this yesterday, um, what the bank I use is discontinuing change coin counting machines. So you can no longer, essentially, unless you wrap it yourself, you can no longer take your change to uh, the bank that I use, um, which is actually BM, uh, BMO Harris. Uh, July 31st, you can't do it anymore. So that motivated me yesterday. I had these two big jugs of change, took them in. They were very accommodating, counted them all up, $733.96 in change. So... Honda wants to know where we're going for lunch. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's kind of it, and it uh, that was very nice. And I, I thought that was a lot until I took calls yesterday from some people who had managed to accumulate, you know, over the years, fifteen hundred, two thousand, three thousand dollars in change. But I, I do think as these big banks decide that they're going to get out of the business of offering coin counting, um, that does create a market again for some of the smaller, the local banks who say, hey, this, there's a need, there's a service, we're going to provide it. But anyhow, number of emails, people are saying, how much was it? How much was it? $733.96. Where is the party? Okay, we start off today's program like we start off every program. Three big things. I mentioned this yesterday. There would be this morning. For political junkies, there was either going to be incredible happiness or extreme sadness. And that is exactly the way it is playing out. Yesterday, there was a special election in Georgia. This for a congressional seat. This is Newt Gingrich's old congressional seat. It is suburban Atlanta. All along, and the vacancy occurred because the sitting congressman, resigned his position to take a position um, with the Trump administration, creating a vacancy for somebody to fill this seat. This was viewed by the Democrats as their best chance of picking up a congressional seat. And they poured tens of millions of dollars into this race. First of all, there was what you call a jungle primary. A jungle primary is where, unlike in Wisconsin, where you have... A Republican primary to choose a Republican candidate, a Democratic primary to choose a Democratic candidate, and then if you get enough, if you're one of the splinter parties or something, you get enough votes, you're automatically like on the ballot. In Georgia, they have a jungle primary, which is where you throw everybody in together, and the top two vote-getters proceed unless one person gets 50% of the vote plus one. So the, all the Democrats essentially united around the, this one candidate, this 30-year-old guy named Jonathan John Ossoff. Um, Republicans had several people that were running for the nomination, and the Democrats' hope was that what the Republicans would do would split the vote and Ossoff could get 50% plus one. Didn't happen. Came close, but didn't happen. So then there was a runoff between woman named Karen Handel, who is the former uh, Georgia Secretary of State, and John Ossoff. Interestingly enough, most of the polling up until the election showed Ossoff ahead. Um, Admittedly, most of it within the margin of error, but almost all of the polls showed him ahead. Matter of fact, I think the newspaper down there, the Atlanta whatever, Journal whatever, had a poll out a week ago showing him substantially ahead. Well, and it blow to the pollsters. What happened yesterday is, and it's a Republican-leaning district, but Handel won by a margin 
that candidly was larger than pretty much anybody saw. It was still a relatively close race. Um, she won with 52% of the vote, but, but she won. And this is despite Democrats really throwing everything but the kitchen sink. And actually, they threw the kitchen sink at her as well, trying to tie her to Donald Trump and trying to tie her to the failed, supposedly failed policies of the Trump administration. It didn't work. It didn't work. She ended up winning. Um, last night, I was watching, of all things, MSNBC, and you had two of these Democratic strategists who were spinning like a top, saying, well, you know, d- despite the fact that he lost, Republicans had to spend all this money to save the seat, and, and this, is a, this is good news for the Democrats moving forward. No, th- they lost. They got beat, and they got beat in a seat that they thought that they were going to be able to take by trying to link her to the Trump administration. So what went wrong? You had all the money. You had an attractive young candidate who was campaigning hard. You had the issue of Donald Trump. What was it that went wrong, and what does that say about the elections moving forward? Well, here's... Here's what happened. The strategy that, again, the Democrats used was to try to motivate the hard left by linking Karen Handel, the Republican candidate, to Donald Trump and his policies. And then the strategy they also used was try to position their candidate as sort of some moderate, middle-of-the-road guy who could work across the aisle and all those type of things and would stand up to, to Trump. So it was this dual strategy, and they had people, activists, coming in from all over the country because if the Democrats had suddenly won, the headlines, the screaming headlines in every newspaper would be, Trump administration is repudiated, they lose this one congressional seat, which I think would have been an overreach, but you know that's what the headlines would have been. So what was the Republican strategy to, to fight back? It was to link this candidate as a reliable vote to Nancy Pelosi. That's what a lot of the ads were doing. They were talking about how you know Nancy Pelosi and his San Francisco values, the big tax, the big spend, the Obamacare, all this type of stuff, and they were arguing that this would not be right for Georgia. And that is the message that ended up carrying the day. People didn't like the left and the Nancy Pelosi wing of the Democratic Party more than they didn't like whatever Donald Trump was doing. All right, our numbers, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's what I think is significant about this. There is, there, there is now, more than ever, I think a partisan split. And you have this activist left, the hate left, which is out there saying you know, anything that Donald Trump does is going to be awful, and, and we have to go against this, and we have to run against it. Here's what the problem is. I think mainstream America dislikes the hate left more than it dislikes whatever Donald Trump is going to do. And as long as the Democratic Party continues to be driven by the Bernie bots, by the far left, and it's gotten more aggressively far left over the years, the success is going to be confined to certain parts of California and New York City and a couple other places. But you need a strategy to win. And the strategy of attacking Trump with a candidate who you can tie to Nancy Pelosi, 
that's going to be a loser. It has been a loser in pretty much every one of the special elections that we've had so far, and I think it's going to be a loser moving forward. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What happened in Georgia? My theory is, despite the fact that people might not be sold on President Trump, they don't like the ultra-liberal agenda and they're not going to support it, and they didn't support it last night in Georgia, and they're not going to support it in Wisconsin, and you're not going to support it all across the country. 414-799-1620. That, I think, is the takeaway, but what's yours? It's 844. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 848, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's Game 3 of the Brewers Series with the Pirates out at Miller Park. Bob Euchre and Jeff Levering begin our pregame coverage at 635 this evening, sponsored by your Milwaukee Honda dealers. Big blow to the Democrats last night in the 6th Congressional District in Georgia. Um, a lot of people, including a lot of pollsters, thought the Democrat was going to win. He failed. I think it's because... As unpopular as President Trump might be, liberals, the San Francisco values, that's the term that the advertising used, and Nancy Pelosi is even more unpopular. Pat in Waukesha. Pat, good morning. Good morning. I think you said you have to look at the money that was spent in that district, the largest amount of money ever spent in a congressional district. He who has the most money usually wins, and I think that's the case here. Actually, I think the numbers are going to show the Democrat outspent the Republican. Um, well, I, you may be right, but as of now, the Republicans have outstanked the Democrats. The, well, he, okay, but uh, let, when well, you have the Colt brothers pouring money, no, but let, wait a second. Let, let this, Pat, let, let this take a step. For, okay, this is a congressional district that had the same number of people, approximately as Milwaukee County did. The Democrats spent at least because they've already filed reports. There was at least twenty-five million dollars spent okay. on trying to elect Ossoff, $25 million. So let, let's, let us say, for the sake of argument, the Republicans spent $27 million. You, you think it's that $2 million that made a difference out of all that money? I think money is always an issue. Well, but, but okay. But the it's question an is, issue. It's one issue. Well, I didn't I, say it was the issue. I just said he who has the most money usually wins. Well, but uh, thank, thanks, I I'm, I'm sorry. I just, that seemed, okay. I, I think that what I have always said in this is that you need enough money to get your message out. If you're running in a congressional district, again, with the same number of people, proximity as Milwaukee County, and you and, and you raise twenty five mil you raise and spend at least twenty five million dollars, you bring eleven thousand volunteers in from across the country. I think it's almost silly to suggest that you didn't have enough money to get your message out. This, you could not turn on the television or the radio in this particular district without hearing an ad from one candidate or, or the other. Plus, Ossoff spent $8 million in this jungle primary, you know, trying to, to promote the idea. So he actually came in candidly with probably a lot even better name recognition now look i I understand that money can make a difference if you have somebody that's outspent you have a candidate that is outspent a hundred to one and you've got somebody that's on television all the time and you've got somebody else who's got no tv presence at all all right i understand how you could say that money can play a role in in an issue in, in trying to get your message out in this particular race i don't think anybody can seriously suggest that there wasn't enough money on both sides and that the difference between spending 
uh, let, let's say the Republicans spent $30 million and the Democrats spent $28 million, that that $2 million difference, that decided the election. No, I think it is more fundamental. I think that as part of the election process, the Democrats' strategy was, we're going to tie our candidate to Donald Trump. The Republican strategy was, hey, this guy is part of this hard left. This is the Nancy Pelosi. It is San Francisco values. And the voters in this district, which admittedly lean Republican, um, just decided that they didn't like the tax and spend liberalism um, as opposed to the tax and spend liberalism, as opposed to whatever issues they have with Donald Trump. And that's what I think is the telling lesson moving forward. If Democrats decide to make 2018 all about the hate Trump, that's going to fail, just like efforts to try to beat Scott Walker all along. I've always said you can't beat somebody with nobody. Now, John Ossoff wasn't necessarily a nobody. He was a beta-tested candidate, um, but he just didn't have the right message. But if the only idea is going to be, gee, we don't like you because you know, you're know you tied in with Donald Trump, like the guy I was watching this, again, MSNBC, was touting that this guy who's going to be running against Paul Ryan, one of the Democratic candidates who hasn't been able to get elected to the state legislature on two separate occasions, lost a run for the school board, and he's going to be the challenger to Paul Ryan? I mean, give me a break. Uh, I think, again, what you have happening here is this is about message. And at least in a Republican-leaning suburban district, this idea that everybody hates Trump so much that they're automatically going to vote against the Republican candidate, no, because to the extent people are not happy with Donald Trump, that's okay, but they're more unhappy with turning the keys of this country over to Nancy Pelosi and, as the ads say, her San Francisco values. That is the big lesson of this election, and that's big story number one. Big story number two, we're waiting on a verdict in a prosecution that I think should never have been brought. Stick around. It's 853. It's 856. Jeff Weck and 620 WTMJ. The State Assembly is set to take up a vote on the Campus Free Speech Act. Will this solve the problems seen on college campuses in recent years? Join the discussion with Scafidi and Billstadt, 135 today. Yeah, and, and one final big loser, not just the National Democrats who threw all this money into this race, but once again, it, it's the pollsters. Because like I say, if you look at almost every poll that was taken before this election, it showed the Democrat winning. And the truth is, the Republican won comfortably. She ended up winning by almost four percentage points. Now, admittedly, most of the polls still, while they had the Democrat ahead, they had him ahead within their margin of error. But almost all of them had him ahead. And this is a case where, again, you look at the preliminary polls, and the vast majority of the pollsters missed the result. They got it wrong by... Again, several points, and that nothing that happened yesterday should inspire confidence again that pollsters really have a clue in figuring out how to accurately measure the size of the turnout and what the mood and actual preferences are of the electorate. So that's big story number one. Big story number two, the jury in the Sherman Park shooting trial uh, ends up deliberating for about five hours, and then they go back to their hotel. This is, of course, the the charges that were brought by John Chisholm in what I believe was a politically motivated prosecution against a former police officer, Dominique Hagan-Brown. The allegations are that Hagan-Brown, who was chasing an armed suspect who was fleeing, fired two shots, 1.6 seconds apart. Boom, boom. The district attorney concedes that the first shot was legitimate. It was exercise of self-defense. 
He Hagen Brown is on trial, 40-year potential felony, because he fired the second shot 1.6 seconds later. Boom, boom. It is that second boom that the district attorney alleges is a felony that should potentially put this former police officer in prison for over 40 years. Uh, the case went to the jury yesterday. Um, after five hours of deliberation, they knocked off. My guess is they are going to have a verdict today. I don't think there's any way in the world that the jury convicts the man of the charges against him. Now, what could complicate matters is that Chisholm, who I don't think should have charged this case in the first place, I think he was politically motivated to do so, there are a couple so-called lesser-included offenses there. And uh, typically what happens sometimes when you have prosecutors that know they've got a case with a problem, they overcharge the case knowing that they're probably not likely to get a conviction on the big charge, but hoping they can get something, hoping that the jury maybe will settle on one of these lesser-included charges. The lesser-included charges are both felonies that I think carry up to 15 years in prison. I think that there probably will be a verdict today, and to me, I still think it's probably an all-or-nothing sort of thing. You're either going to see an acquittal or you're going to see a conviction. Most likely, I think, if justice is to be served, it ends up in an acquittal. That's big story number two. The jury continues to deliberate, and the longer they are out, the better I think it is for the former Milwaukee police officer. It's 909, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If I had to guess, my guess is there is a verdict in that uh, Dominic Hagen-Brown prosecution today. The jury has been sequestered. That means they're they're locked up. They don't go home at night. They, they stay at a at a hotel, and Typically, sequestered juries get a little bit squirrely. That, that, that's not done very often. In all the cases I tried, it was probably only done a handful of, of times. And it's just, you know, people want to be with their families. People want to be in their normal environments. And typically, the, 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 the pleasure, whatever fun there might be in staying in a hotel for a night or two, disappears after a night or two. So, I mean, my guess is that there's going to be an Perhaps urgency is the wrong word, but they're going to want to try to reach a verdict. In addition, at the end of the day, this isn't a very complicated case. I mean, the, the facts aren't at, at, at issue. The question is whether or not 12 people are going to agree beyond a reasonable doubt that a police officer chasing a armed uh, somebody who is armed and fleeing, um, a police officer who is justified in firing a shot at the person is then going to be convicted of a felony for firing a second shot 1.6 seconds later. Boom, boom. All right, that second boom. And, and candidly, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe the jury is going to see it differently, but I, I think this is, I've said this from the beginning, it was a very, very difficult prosecution. I think it was based on an effort to save face and a def, uh, political effort and political position as much as anything else. But we'll see. Maybe the jury will end up disagreeing. But I I would be surprised if you don't have a verdict sometime today. My understanding was the jury is brought back and they're probably deliberating now. Don't be surprised if there is somewhat of verdict. Okay, big story number three, a controversy involving the Waukesha Police Department. Let me share this story with you. And I, I'm curious as to whether you find fault with the police as a neighbor apparently finds fault with the police. Um, Sunday evening, there was a, a standoff out in, in Waukesha involving a, a guy who was apparently suicidal 
and was at 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 his house out in Waukesha. Here's what happened. Um, according to police, they went to the gunman's home shortly after eight o'clock at night. Um, this is a, a neighborhood in Waukesha. Um, a, a female caller had apparently called the police and said the man wanted to kill himself with a gun. He had been drinking and was armed with a handgun. So police go out to the house. They find the guy in his backyard with a cooler of beer. They responded along with additional units from the Waukesha Sheriff's Department and the New Berlin Police Department, as well as the New Berlin K-9 unit. They find the guy. He's in his backyard. He's armed with a handgun. And so what they try to do is they try to stabilize the situation. They try to – this isn't something that escalates into a shooting situation right away. They try to talk to him. So they set up a perimeter. They try to establish a good rapport with him. And they spend over an hour and a half trying to do this. Okay, so here you got a guy who's got the cooler of beer. He's got the gun. They, they don't rush in and just start shooting. They, they start talking to him and, and trying to you know, work out some sort of resolution. Woman who was in the house was able to flee the building without incident. All right. What happened, and this is what they say, this ended in a shooting. The gunman engaged with officers by a fence before walking to the front of the home. Officers believed he had a gun. He tried kicking in a door at about 9.42 p.m. So this has been going on for an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes. Um, he's got a gun, they believe. He's trying to kick in a door. There is a shooting. Um, police say that because he disobeyed his commands, they were forced to fire at him to prevent further imminent danger to themselves and to the community. After he was shot, the officers involved rendered immediate medical attention and evacuating him, um, he died. All right, so that's the situation. It's this, again, it's a 90-minute situation where you've got a guy who's armed, he's got a cooler of beer, the police are trying to de-escalate the situation. Ultimately, it fails. All right, so where is where is the controversy? All right, so there. this ends in a shooting. What happens is, whenever there is a shooting, the, the bullets have to go somewhere, and I don't know how many shots were fired, but as it turns out, one of the, the stray bullets, and they don't know whether this was a bullet, at least right now, we don't know whether this was a bullet from fired by a police officer or fired by the guy. I, I don't know. But regardless, what happens is a, a stray bullet apparently shatters the window of an, a neighbor's house, next-door neighbor, goes through the child's, uh, and it's, it's where, like, this three- or four-year-old girl is sleeping, or she's in the bedroom, bullet goes through the window, shatters the window, and ends up lodging, I, I think, in, in the wall, all right? So here's where it gets interesting. The neighbor, you know, does an interview with the Journal Sentinel where she is complaining about the police, all right? Now, let me share with you a portion of the story as it appears in the Journal Sentinel. A stray bullet likely from a weekend police shooting that killed a 64-year-old armed and suicidal man, shattered the window of a child's nearby bedroom, prompting the homeowner prompting the homeowner to ask why police had not warned her family of the pending danger. Uh, the woman says in an interview on Tuesday that at her home that her three-year-old daughter was asleep in the bedroom when the gunfire began on the evening of Sunday, June 18th, upending the normally quiet evenings on this northwest side subdivision. The gunshots prompted the woman to check on her daughter. She said she saw the shattered window and a bullet embedded in a closet door across the room. No one was injured, but the lady questioned why police 
had not evacuated families from nearby homes with a suicidal gunman pacing and drinking beer in his yard. I wish they would have, she said. She said that she and her husband were outside monitoring the 90-minute standoff between police and the gunman that ended in an exchange of gunfire that ultimately killed the man. The backyards of the gunman and these folks abet each other. We didn't think it was that big a deal until we heard the gunshots. Um, She said she was not told if the bullet originated from the gun of a suicidal man or police. She was also upset because the bedroom window had been newly installed only a few months ago. Police are not releasing the identity of the gunman or commenting on the stray bullet. She said that she had talked on occasion over the fence with a neighbor and he seemed to be a normal person. All right. So she's giving an interview with the newspaper blaming the police for not evacuating the home. Now, at the same time, she also acknowledges that her and her husband were in their backyard, apparently, monitoring the situation for the entire length of this time. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, here you have this ongoing situation. The police are, are there. They're in your neighbor's backyard. You know that the situation involves a guy who is apparently drinking and has a gun. And the police are trying to talk them down. Ultimately, it ends in a shooting. Is it the police's fault that they didn't evacuate the nearby houses? Or is this a situation where maybe if if you had concerns, you get out of Dodge yourself? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is this a legitimate beef about the police? Now, obviously, some stray bullet goes, and, and the good news is nobody was hurt, nobody was injured, the window gets busted. Okay, you can replace windows. All right, that's just the reality of this. But should the police have evacuated the, the area? And is it fair to criticize the police when you... You know what is going on. You know the neighbors in the backyard. You know the neighbors been drinking. You know the neighbors got a gun. You know that the, I don't know, cops are trying to talk them down. And you decide to monitor the situation yourself and stay. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it fair to criticize the Waukesha police for this? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 917. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Nine twenty, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. Now I understand it's fair to criticize the police, but in the for different things. But okay, here's the situation: Sunday night, cops respond in Waukesha to a, a frantic call. Drunken guy in his backyard drinking beer. He's got a gun. He's suicidal. Cops get there about eight o'clock at night, and they begin to try to negotiate with him. The conversation lasts about ninety minutes, maybe a little bit more. Ultimately, it ends with a shootout. All right, they're, they're not able to resolve this matter. That is unfortunate. Okay, the next door neighbor in the shootout later on finds that a bullet has gone through her window and entered, lodged itself in the bedroom where the her three year old child is sleeping, and and. She's now quoted in the paper as criticizing the police for not evacuating the house. Now, she admits that she knows this was going on. She said her and her husband were outside monitoring the standoff. We didn't think it was that big a deal until we heard the gunshots. And now she is criticizing the police for not making her leave the house. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Well, I have a strong opinion on this, but let's start with Sandy and Montello. Sandy, you're first. Good morning. Good morning. They, they, you know, they're 
a spectator for 90 minutes, they should have got out of that neighborhood ASAP, take their kids and leave. Um, they they could clearly see that the situation wasn't good, I'm sure, by the conversation, knowing the guy was drunk. And he's got a gun, um, and he's suicidal. And he's got a gun. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, why, I mean, I would have gotten out of that neighborhood, like, right yeah. away. These people that like to be spectators and hang around, um, it, it drives me crazy. I mean, you, you go into the opposite direction. Well, now, right, right. Again, and, 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 oh, sorry, go ahead. No, and what I was going to say is under these situations, these tense situations, police can't predict what's going to happen. Right. I mean, it's not as though it was a, a, a six-hour standoff and the guy's in the house and right. that's when they evacuate people. But in a situation like this, you can't predict if the guy's going to shoot first, of course they have to shoot back, and they should be grateful that they got the guy before they got somebody else. Right. I guess I, I mean I'm just looking at this, and it's not like this is a surprise. I, I okay, it, it's it, it might be one thing if gee we didn't know this was going to be going on, but if you're if you're a quote unquote mo- you're outside monitoring the situation, you're watching a guy who's got a gun who's been drinking. I'm with you. I'm getting out of Dodge, and I'm packing up my kids, or I'm going to the basement, or I'm going as far away as I possibly can because I understand that there's the possibility that something bad can can happen. Or I'm getting in a car, and I'm, I'm going down the street. I'm getting out of the area. I'm not going to blame the police when something bad happens. You knew that there was at least the potential for this. Exactly. And again, and that's a good point, too, at least go in the basement and take your kids and go in the basement until the situation is under control. Well, right, I, you know, right, and, and, and yeah. look, and I'm, I mean, I'm, look, and I'm glad, I'm very, very glad nothing bad happened, and I understand why she's upset that you know the window got shattered by this stray bullet, and I, I understand why she would be nervous. It would freak me out too if if my child was sleeping in this bedroom. But at the same time, I, I just, in all honesty. I, I wouldn't need the police if if I have these concerns and I'm watching this and there's a drunken guy who's suicidal in an, right across the right next door, you know, with a gun. I'm not going to be, quote unquote, monitoring the situation. I'm not going to be a spectator. I'm going to be getting away. And I don't need the police to come in and tell me I've got to get away and I've got to be evacuated. And I'm certainly not going to complain if. Gee, um, after something happens, gee, there was this kind of stray bullet that was there. On my text line, somebody texts, the lady sounds like a person who would watch a tornado coming and then run to the basement. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not like this was a surprise. You're monitoring the situation. A guy who's been drinking, who's suicidal with a gun, this goes on for 90 minutes, and then, gee, we didn't think it was that big a deal until we heard the gunshots. And, gee, one of these bullets you know, went through our window. Hmm. Jen in Waukesha. Jen, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jen. Um, hi. I I only live, like, seriously about four blocks away from where this happened, and I think that this lady's re- being really ridiculous because these kinds of situations, I think this is probably the third the third one, and, like, in the last two years, there was one, um, I think, last year where there was a veteran who was suicidal and had a gun, Um Mm-hmm. If they weren't obviously that concerned about their three-year-old that they were outside of the house, leaving the three-year-old inside by themselves, not knowing what's going on, you know. Um, but if their window got shattered, isn't that why you have homeowner's insurance? I'm sure they could, yeah. you know, get something from the police. But I think it's, it's ridiculous to expect that they would evacuate the entire surrounding area unless there was something like a bomb 
you know, if that's not part of how the police were trained, they're not going to make a special exception just because you live in Waukesha. Well, also, I mean, and it's not like you, you didn't know that there was a, a situation. I mean, okay, I, where, where I live, we're, we, we've got fences. I'm, I'm right. I have neighbors to both my east and west, and we're, we're very – the houses are in close proximity. If I'm in a situation where you've got a drunken neighbor – sorry to both of you guys, Nick, Josh, this wouldn't be you guys – you know, who's out there in it with a gun in the backyard involved in a standoff with police that are trying to talk them out of a suicide for 90 minutes, I, I'm, I'm going to be – I, I, I'm, I'm not going to need the police to say, Jeff, you probably need to back off here. And, you know, because there's the potential that bullets might go flying. I mean, it's just well, the backyards are not even that big out here. <laughs> I mean, if they saw like a SWAT team or police with their guns out, you know, I mean, they're responsible. They, they like the previous caller said, and like you said, they should have if they were that concerned. They yeah. should have just gotten their child and left the area. Right, exactly. I mean, right, because you know, so, I mean, do, do you need the police to come out and say, hey, there, there's the potential that something could happen? Now, well, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm going to let Mark and Eagle. Mark, uh, you're in 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff, how's it going? Good. What do you think? Well, I think the woman had a point until she announced that she was monitoring the situation yes. the whole time. Right. Where, where if, you know, Maybe the house on the other side of this guy had no idea what was going on, and a bullet comes cruising through the house. I think they have a more legitimate gripe than someone that's right. You know, right. You, you know this right. That that, and I I agree with you. It's not like this is a surprise situation. You know this is going on. She acknowledges her and her husband were monitoring the situation. They didn't think it was that big a deal. What, what's her exact quotation here? Um, we didn't think it was that big a deal until we heard the gunshots. Okay, your your neighbor is in the backyard drinking beer with a gun and is suicidal and is involved in a standoff police for, for 90 minutes, and you don't think it's that big a deal until it ends in a shooting? Really? Really? Correct. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would just say if I you know happen to be outside and seen my neighbor doing the same thing, I'm out of there. Yeah. I, I don't care what the situation <laughs> is or what his problem is, I'm gone. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't need the cops to come in and say, okay, you have to evacuate. Now, would it have been, I mean, I don't know what their policy is on evacuating things. Obviously, the police were trying to, to resolve this without gunshots having to be fired. So, I mean, that was what their, their goal was. And, and I don't know what their policy is. Would it have been wrong if they told them to, to leave? I don't know. But it's not like, the by her own admission, she knew what was happening here. She and her husband knew what was happening here, and they decided to, quote-unquote, monitor the situation, at which point in time I, I think you lose the right to criticize the police if, gee, we had no idea that this suicidal, drunken man was going to be involved in a shooting after apparently in this situation for 90 minutes. It's 928. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 936, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Is it time to consider the first place by half game? Brewers, a serious contender. Journal Sentinel beat writer Tom Hardrecourt thinks so. Find out why in the Brewers section of WTMJ.com. I hope he's right. Wearing my new Brewers polo shirt today. I, I really, I, and I actually, I think the Brewers have overachieved, but you, you just, you hope that what they're going through now is a blip instead of the beginning of a collapse. Because they sure, they played some bad baseball lately. And they're, 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 the truth is, 
They're an up-and-coming team, but right now they're just kind of deeply flawed. The bullpen is just awful, just awful, and, um, as, you know, there's just not a lot of holes. But, I mean, it's been a great ride so far, and believe me, nobody would be happier than me if they could continue this for a while, but I, I, I don't know. Serious contender? We'll see. I, I, candidly, I'm afraid I don't think so, but believe me, I hope I'm wrong, because here we are, what, June 21st? June 21st, summer solstice. First day of summer, my favorite day of the year, the most daylight um, of any day of the year. That is the glass is half full, glass is half empty, is that the daylight hours start shrinking starting tomorrow. But, you know, I, I tell you, I wish every month of the year could be June, in the words of the song. All right. President Trump, um, his ambassador and um, national security people are going to be meeting with uh, representatives of China um, this week. Uh, there is a, a kind of a pale cast over it because of, of North Korea. Um, there, the reports are this morning that North Korea is, they're seeing activity around the North Korea nuclear test sites. You know, North Korea has been trying out missiles. There's no question about that. You have the situation that we talked about yesterday where, you know, North Korea grabbed a 20-some-year-old American college student who ventured civilly, took a tour into North Korea, was grabbed on trumped-up charges of trumped up, no pun intended, trumped up charges of taking a political poster off a wall, was arrested, apparently beaten, because before his show trial, he sustained what they're talking about, catastrophic brain injuries, and then sentenced to six years of hard labor. Um, What happened was, last week, North Korea released him, and, and I think the only reasonable inference is that North Korea knew he was going to die in just a matter of days, and they didn't want him dying in their custody, so they released him, and then you know he passed away um, just a couple days after being released. Family says no autopsy, but th- you're dealing with a renegade and a rogue nation. Yesterday, President Trump sends out a tweet. Now, the initial strategy had been, let's try to continue to put economic pressure or other forms of pressure on North Korea to get them to dismantle any efforts uh, at building nukes, to stop shooting off these missiles, in essence to stop being a rogue nation. And they were trying to enlist the aid of China. And China, of course, is the principal benefactor in the world of North Korea. And so the idea was, let's try to work with China, and let's try to use China, because if China implies, imposes pressure, and stops essentially propping up this puppet government, you know, maybe there's a chance at real some real reform. Well, yesterday, President Trump said that um, China had not succeeded in getting North Korea to curb its nuclear and ballistic missile programs which is kind of an acknowledgement of failure because when we first started talking about this, President Trump, the guy who's the art of the deal, you know, he was saying, hey, we, we can make arrangements, we can work with China, we can put pressure on it. Um, so now you have North Korea that apparently, again, scurrying around their military, their nuclear sites, continuing to shoot off missiles. You have the death of the American college students, student essentially in their custody. Now, I understand they technically released him, but again, I believe they released him only because they recognized that death was imminent. And President Trump says, while I greatly appreciate the efforts of uh, China to help with North Korea, it has not worked out. At least I know China tried. You know, that's his tweet. 
But now, now the question is, what do we do? You know, does the U.S. essentially go it alone? Does the U.S. try to do whatever it can, increasing sanctions to bring pressure on North Korea, or do we let them continue to saber-rattle, continue to try to do nuclear tests, continue to try to threaten the rest of the world? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. It is unfortunate that the efforts to work through China, I think, have failed. And I am not one of these guys who's big on what you call nation-building, but I will tell you this. I think I think North Korea poses a substantial threat to world safety. And you know, all you need is North Korea to be able to figure out how to I don't know, get some nuclear capability and then use it on South Korea and you are I mean you're looking at World War 3 square in the face. And I think the Trump administration it's unfortunate that they can't get China on board. But now I think it's time for the Trump administration to start ratcheting up pressure, not necessarily military military pressure at this point. But I think North Korea kind of moves to the top of the list along with trying to deal with ISIS. And I think we have to do something. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Obviously, if we escalate sanctions or we consider military options involving North Korea, that runs the risk of making tensions in that area even worse. But I don't think we can do nothing. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? We discuss next. It's 942. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 946. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, coming up in about 20 minutes, it's an interesting topic. There's... A guy who claims to have buried a chest full of buried treasures somewhere in the western states. There are treasure hunters who have been looking for this for years, including my best friend who's gone on one of these treasure hunts. Um, Nobody's found it. People are dying. And authorities are now saying enough is enough. I'll tell you about that story. Maybe you're one of those treasure hunters, too, and we're going to discuss it uh, coming up at about 10.08, whether whether it's responsible to continue this. Um, right now, we're talking about what you do about North Korea. President Trump announcing yesterday that his, his efforts to try to get China to put pressure on North Korea had, had failed. Um, this is... It's not a surprise, I think, to anybody who's kind of followed this, because China has been the principal agent propping up the North Korean puppet government for years and years now. And I, I think most people think that China is not going to do something unless they really feel that they ultimately have to, and that these these efforts to try to get China to pressure North Korea um, while well-intended, never were going to go anywhere anyhow. And candidly, it is a blow to the Trump administration and their efforts at diplomacy, because this is Donald Trump. This is the art of the deal. You know, we can we can work around this. Well, it, it's failed, and now everybody acknowledges that it has failed. I think North Korea poses such a threat that now it's at a point where if we have to once again start to go it alone, then we once again have to start going it alone. First and foremost, and I argued this yesterday, I think immediately Congress needs to pass a law saying 
Americans are no longer legally allowed to travel to North Korea. It is just simply too dangerous. And it's not just a matter of individual risk. I mean, I understand people could say, well, yes, you warn people, you tell them it's a bad idea, you, you won't make, make them understand that this is really ill-advised. Okay, th- that's fine, and that's an individual responsibility issue. But the problem is the puppet government in North Korea is grabbing Americans, and they are using them essentially as hostages uh, for bargaining chips or whatever. And so if you decide to go to North Korea and you get grabbed and you are sent to some gulag for forced labor for six years for some you know trumped up sort of offense, it's not just your decision, your dumb decision to go to North Korea, but you then become a pawn in this sort of international game of chess or whatever that is being played. And I think the United, because then it becomes what then, okay, we've got another American, we've grabbed another American and we're going to hold them and we're going to use him as a bargaining chip. If you want this American back, well, what you have to do is you have to lighten up on this sanction or that sanction. When you make the decision to go to North Korea, you not only put your own life at risk, but also, I think indirectly, you jeopardize efforts at diplomacy because they'll they'll grab you because you're an American. They'll hold you and they will use you to try to extract some sort of concession from the U.S. government. And that in and of itself is a reason to say it's illegal to go. Secondly, I'm not advocating military action now, unless you get the idea that you know they have in fact developed you know, some nuclear capability. You can't allow North Korea to have a nuclear capability, pure and simple. But what I think you need to do, and this will be curious, is to see whether Trump will take this position, is if China won't voluntarily help, there are things that you can do to try to goose China along. For example. Um, there are a number of Chinese banks and companies that do business with the U.S. and do business with North Korea. What you could do is you could start imposing sanctions on these banks and companies, at least on their U.S. activities. And you could say, look, if you're going to continue to support this terrorist regime, all right, there's going to be consequences on your operations in the U.S. Now, that might potentially antagonize China. At the same time, it might also get China off the dime and then give them incentive to say, look, you know, we're just not going to allow this terrorist to continue to operate, you know, in North Korea. Will Trump have the guts to do it? I don't know. But if I was president, I would certainly be looking at some of these type of things because you cannot allow a rogue nation to threaten the rest of the world. It's 9.53, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Should the government give trademark protection to the term Redskins? Here's the story. I think everybody knows there's a controversy. There's groups that have been pressuring pressuring the Washington Redskins to change the nickname for years, alleging that the term Redskins is offensive to American Indians. Uh, Back in 2014, um, under the Obama administration, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office refused refused to uh, allow, they canceled the, the trademark of the term Redskins. Um, so in other words, they refused to give it protection. So theoretically, other people could come out with the same images and sell knockoff T-shirts and things like that, and the Washington Redskins would not be protected from that. They did that in 2014. And the, what the, again, it's the Obama 
during the Obama administration, um, the argument was, hey, there's a law which prohibits registration of trademarks that may disparage persons living or dead, institutions, belief, or national symbols. And so the government agency said, we find the Redskins trademark, the Redskins logo, that is disparaging. We're not going to give it trademark protection. That doesn't mean that the Redskins can't use it, but it means that if people, again, were going to try to do knockoffs or whatever, they would not be protected. So it's a lot of money, theoretically, that would be involved in that. Well, on Monday, the Supreme Court issued a ruling which, in all likelihood, will reverse that decision. There is, there's an Oregon-based Asian-American band that calls itself the Slants, S-L-A-N-T-S. They, been in existence for a number of years, they applied for a trademark. They want to trademark the band's name and logo. The same office that went after the Redskins denied that. They said the name was considered offensive because that is a term which, you know, if you use it, would be, I think everybody would agree, is derogatory towards Asian Americans. The band said, wait a second, we have free speech rights. You know, we should be able to call ourselves whatever we want, and we should be able to protect a trademark, our, our logo, and it's a violation of our First Amendment rights if you don't let us do it. Well, in a unanimous decision, and the Supreme Court almost never does anything unanimously. 8 um, the newest justice, uh, Neil Gorsuch, didn't participate. But in a unanimous decision, the Supreme Court agreed with the band, and they said, yep, um, you know, you have... You know, there's all sorts of things that, you know, some people decide to, you know, find disparaging or offensive. And the truth of the matter is that in this particular case, you know, you have a right. This is if some people are offended. Well, then they don't buy your logos. They don't go to, you know, they don't listen to your CDs. They don't have to buy your T-shirts. But, yeah, we don't want government. We don't want Big Brother deciding what is going to be too offensive for commercial speech and what isn't going to be too offensive. So Supreme Court, in a unanimous ruling, says that, okay, the slants have a right to trademark their name and their logo. Now, the case did not directly address the Redskins, but frankly, the analysis is exactly the same. I mean, if 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 you're going to find that there's a First Amendment protection for a band that wants to call itself, quote-unquote, the slants, there is clearly a First Amendment protection, I think, for the Redskins. So that this is a, a huge victory, and I, I think for free speech. Here's the bottom line of all this. If you have a situation where people are, and again, I think reasonable people can disagree on this particular issue about whether or not the Redskins nickname, and the Redskins, I think, are, are one of the oldest teams in the national in the NFL um, as far as, you know, this particular name. And if you want to say that, okay, you know, what was acceptable in 1940 might not be acceptable in 2017, and they should change it. I mean, I think reasonable people can understand that. And I think if people want to put pressure on the Redskins to change their name, and they say that they're not going to, but if you want to put pressure, that's fine. If you want to try to put economic pressure by saying, you know, we're not going to buy T-shirts, we're not going to buy this stuff, that's fine. If you want to decide we're going to boycott games, I think that's fine. If you want to try to put pressure on the NFL to try to figure out a way for them to put pressure on the Redskins, if this bothers you, I think that is completely and totally appropriate. What, in my opinion, is inappropriate is having the government come in and say, Okay, we're going to use the powers of federal law to try to determine 
what somebody might find offensive and what somebody might find not offensive. That's where it's the government overreach. If the Redskins nickname ultimately disappears, and I don't know if it will. I mean, who who knows what's going to happen 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now? Who knows whether 20 years from now it's still going to be the Washington Redskins? But if they make the decision to do away with that nickname, it should be a decision that they make based on social concerns or economic pressure or pressure from the NFL, not government rulings. It's 10.09. This is Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. All right. Jane Metner, before you leave, have you heard the story about this guy who claims to have buried all this treasure somewhere in, like, New Mexico or Colorado or Wyoming, and people are, like, dying starting to look for it? Yeah. I have just on on the peripheral. My, My best friend actually has been following this and went on, flew literally with his kid, flew to New Mexico about a year or two ago, and he had theories as to where this was and flew to New Mexico and was like hiking around outside Santa Fe looking for this and never found it, but um, continues to have theories about this whole thing. Hey, any excuse to go to Santa Fe? Santa Fe is a great town. (laughs) Okay, well, there you go. You know, absolutely. Well, anyways, I I bring this up because I'm... Here's the deal. If you haven't heard about this, and it's gotten a lot of attention in the national media, there is a his his name is Forrest Fenn, and he, he's based out of um, again he, he's based out of Santa Fe, and he 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 wrote a book called The Thrill of the Chase, um, and in this book. He claims to have buried a treasure, a bronze chest full of gold and jewels and all sorts of things. Now, you want to hear where the story goes, right? He claims to have buried this chest somewhere, um, and, and he doesn't say what state it's in. But in his book, he gives all these clues. It's a bronze chest filled with valuables, and he described this in his 2010 book. He, he won't say where it is, but in the book, he gives clues. And so you have all these people who, who have started searching. and Real-life treasure hunt. It, it, it is a real-life treasure hunt. That's exactly it. He claims to have buried this. Um, a lot of people think it's in New Mexico. Um, but there's other theories. Some think it's in Colorado. Some think it's in Wyoming. Some think people think it is in Montana because th- these are these are sort of vague clues that are open to all sorts of interpretation. Um, the, the State Department of Tourism for New Mexico is even touting th- this search, <laughs> and they featured a video um, that has shots of the New Mexico landscape and friend Fenn, the, the artist, the guy talking about his, his life. So you have, and again, like I say, my, my best friend is kid a year or two ago. He had this theory, and they, they, they flew in, I want to say, to Albuquerque and drove to Santa Fe and then drove like a couple hours outside of Santa Fe and were hiking around looking for this. And I don't think they found They told me they didn't find it, and their lifestyle hasn't changed. But He's still answering your phone calls. So. He's, still, right, he's still answering my phone calls and still letting me buy dinner from time to time, which I don't think he would do. But, but here's, I mean, here's the flip side of this, and this is what I want to talk about with, with you. Um, people are dying trying to find this because the clues are again they're they're vague um you're talking about remote areas of new mexico and colorado and wyoming and so you have these people that are going out and they are they're searching for this um for example um what happened is 
just a, a couple weeks ago, um, crews retrieved a body from the Rio Grande um, that investigators suspect is of a Colorado guy who had come looking you know, for this treasure. Another searcher died on the same river, the Rio Grande, last year looking for the chest. Others have gotten lost. Um, one guy stalked Fenn's granddaughter, suspecting the treasure was a metaphor for her. So what's happened is now law enforcement authorities are, are kind of stepping in. And the, air, the chief of the New Mexico State Police Force came out yesterday and said, that this is nuts. I mean, you have to knock this off. Um, the treasure hunt has led to the deaths of two men in New Mexico. It has led to countless other people have been injured because they're climbing around in the wild trying to look for this. And he said what's also happening is whenever somebody goes off on this kind of treasure hunt and gets lost or injured or whatever, they have to send out search parties. And they've had a lot of search and rescue parties, which strain state resources and also put the searchers, you know, at risk. Um, And so, you know, they... This is happening. Um, There's one guy from Colorado who died trying to navigate the Rio Grande in a small inflatable raft. He disappeared in January of 2016. His remains were discovered in July of 2016. Um, His wife said that she didn't even think the guy had hidden the treasure, but called on him to, you know, put a stop to this hunt. So the police are saying... This is irresponsible. You've got all these people that are coming out, and yes, I guess it's good for tourism, um, but it's not harmless. People are dying because they all have these remote ideas of going to remote places, and they're getting in trouble, and some of them are dying, some of them are getting hurt, some of them are getting lost, and we have to go find them. So the police chief is saying, stop this nonsense, and go, if you really did bury a chest of gold and jewels and other artifacts, put an end to this stupid treasure hunt, Go and get this, dig it up if it's really there, and put an end to this because otherwise you've got blood on your hands. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I don't know if, if anybody, besides my best friend Evan, is familiar with this or has been following it. Like I say, it's gotten attention on Good Morning America and the Today Show and things like this. But you've got people from all over the country who... Are, are trying to put together clues, believing that, number one, this is really buried treasure, and number two, that they, they're going to be able to dig it up. Now, even if you find it, there's all sorts of legal issues, but we don't even need to get into that. But people are dying. So here's, here's what I want to talk about with you. Should, should this guy who claims to have buried the treasure... Given the fact that people are dying and getting hurt and there is the expenditure of state resources, you know, to go help to try to find people, you know, when they get lost looking for this, should he just put an end to this? Is it irresponsible to have done this or is this a matter of individual choice? You know, you want to come to New Mexico, you want to go on a uh, hunt for a treasure chest that may or may not be buried somewhere in New Mexico or Wyoming or Colorado or whatever. Is that a matter of individual choice? Is it irresponsible for this guy to have done it? And should he go along with the request of the state police chief to dig up the treasure? What do you think? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should the state... Should the guy just simply say enough is enough and bail on this? We will discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1016, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. By the way, if 
I, I don't know if anybody else, like I say, besides my buddy from around here, has gone on this or followed this. If you've thought about doing it, I'd be interested in talking to you as well. It's 1016. This is Jeff. It's 1019, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Well, I don't know if there's anybody in Wisconsin besides my best friend who's actually gone on one of these treasure hunts. Um, and and he, he, he's he got different theories. He told me the other night he's got a different theories developed about where the, the treasure might be buried. I just say, okay, just remember your buddies if you find it. Our text line has exploded. Bobby in Kenosha says, it's fun for people to do, and it is about individual choice. Um, another one on our text line says, the whole treasure issue seems like it's based off of a lie. I think the guy that, quote, unquote, buried it should say the location and have the box returned to him if it was actually true. People should stop looking for it. I think it's bogus. Your life isn't worth any amount of wealth. All right. Uh, Laurel in New Hostin writes, um, no one is forcing people to go on the treasure hunt, especially not the author. How is it different from hikers in any other park that might need search and rescue? Should we ban that as well? Randy sends me a text. Um, people don't get rescued when you climb Mount Everest. They play at your own risk. Um, yeah, let's see. Uh, Katie um, in Madison writes, if he buried a treasure, I think it would be something like the song One Tin Soldier. Okay, I guess here's how I... I, I look at this. Oh, matter of fact, the text line just exploding here. Uh, no, he shouldn't. People need to be responsible and know their own limits. Um, Darwin's law at work. Here, I, I've actually been thinking a lot about this because I, I, again, I talked to my buddy Evan when he and his son went on this this trip, and and they were in kind of a remote place, um, and you know nothing bad happened to them, but they were kind of off in a remote place. You know, no cell phone service and things like that. And there there is there is a risk of this. Now look. I am not at all convinced that there really is a treasure. I mean, I've kind of followed this story, and the guy claims to have done this. I'm not, I'm not convinced there's a treasure. And in all due respect to the people who are treasure hunting, I don't have an interest in reading the book and trying to look at a map and figure out the clues and what this means and what. I just, I, I have no interest in doing that at all. But at the same time. I guess I agree with the majority of people who've texted, and that is that, to me, this is a matter of individual choice. I mean, you know, we we don't tell people, for example, if um, Hondo and I decide that we want to fly to Bonaire, which is a wonderful little island right off the coast of Venezuela. I know that because my girlfriend's sister is married to a guy from Bonaire. Franz, and he's just the nicest guy in the world. He he is he is a philosopher. He and I have bonded. I, I like, but he keeps saying, "Come on down to Bonaire," and I keep saying, "Well, okay, you know, I uh, January, you know, January February, I'll, I'll visit you in Bonaire. I, I promise, not you know, not not in August, uh, right on the equator where it's probably 120 degrees and 100 percent humidity. But it's kind of like, I mean, if I decide to go to Bonaire and decide that I'm going to go scuba diving, and the diving is apparently big, and I don't, I don't scuba dive, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not great in water, but if I decide to go scuba diving because there's some report of, like, some pirate ship that is crashed off the island or whatever, and I go scuba diving looking for the, this treasure, and bad things happen, well, I, I don't know. Do you blame the pirates for that? No. You, I, to me, this is a, a matter of individual choice that, that's out there. It's kind of like... 
a variation of where we had the argument about the whole Pokemon dispute, where you know people were complaining, gee, you know, there's this Pokemon thing that's set up in Lake Park, and people are coming down there, and and gee, there's all these people, and they're trampling on the wildlife, and a couple people might get hurt and stuff like that. No, that's the choice, the individual choice that the people make. And I mean, again, this treasure hunt thing isn't for me. But it's something that has attracted all sorts of interest. And if somebody has a theory and they they decide that they're going off hiking in the wilds of New Mexico and they end up slipping down a a trail and hurting themselves, or they decide they've got this theory that they've got to take a a one-person inflatable raft in January and jump on the Rio Grande River and bad stuff happens, it's it's not the fault of the guy who kind of created the craze, it's the fault of, you know, the person that made that bad decision. Now, I do think it's fair for the authorities to say, kind of maybe like like climbing Mount Everest, all right, you, you go out, you're on your own, and if you're off in the wilds of wherever and bad stuff happens to you, we just don't organize, you know, we're not going to organize search and rescue parties, you know, if you go to certain areas. That, I think, is fair to create as a certain policy to make sure people understand you're doing this at your own risk. But I don't know. These calls blaming him for the deaths of people, I don't think so. And I guess if you're a real-life treasure hunter, ah, you can pick up the guy's book and come up with your own theory. It's 1024. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1026, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's Wednesday, and that means it's your chance to play Lawmaker for a Day. Scafidi and Billstadt take your calls during their Ought to Be a Law beginning at 2.07 this afternoon. Yeah, for that segment, a lot of times it's not just, my belief is it's not just that there ought to be a law, but that there's, that there, why don't they enforce certain laws? That would be kind of it. Why don't, why don't we actually sit and watch the people that go through the red lights? Why don't we enforce those? And when the person's driving in the bike lane at 75 miles an hour and blows through a red light, why don't we go after them and catch them? Just saying. But anyhow, tune in. Scafidi and Bill Stett. There ought to be a law beginning at 2.07 this afternoon. Um, I, I've made an effort. I'm going to try, hopefully tomorrow, to see if we can get uh, U.S. Senator Ron Johnson on. Um, this is an interesting time in the, the U.S. Senate. Um, they are scheduled in the very near future to do kind of like their summer recess. And um, there is a hope. There is a hope that the U.S. Senate will come out um, and will be prepared to vote as early as next week on the Senate's effort to repeal and replace Obamacare. Um, okay, you, the House of Representatives, led by Paul Ryan, uh, came out with its own version, which I thought has problems, but at least is a good start. Now that's gone over to the Senate. The Senate isn't going to adopt the House version. And the Senate is working on its own version. And apparently there's been a lot of people who are, they've been behind closed doors. And the emphasis on closed doors for, you know, a couple weeks, um, working on a sweeping rewrite of the nation's health care laws. Now this is important for Republicans because for, for years, I mean, really, since Obamacare, you know, was put into effect for the last six or seven years, a lot of Republicans have run on a repeal and replace Obamacare banner. And at some point in time, 
it's been fine to run on that and make that an issue when you didn't have the, the keys to the car, when you weren't in power. Um, well, now Republicans are in power. You've got a, a Republican in the White House. Republicans have working control of both houses of Congress. And so now I think, you know, there is an expect, expectation that you're going to deliver. The problem is we've never, ever in the history of this country, once you've had an entitlement program that was passed, you've never had an entitlement program that was then done away with because people get used to it. They get used to the government handouts. They get used to the government providing this. And now you've got a situation where you have a government entitlement program, Obamacare, which is, you know, as Paul Ryan talks about, it's it's just cratering. I mean, this week... You're going to have to have insurers that are going to be making decisions as to whether they're going to participate in these exchanges. And in a lot of states, there's not going to be any insurer that is even going to participate. So, you know, where do you go from from there? Do you put more taxpayer money in to give the insurers incentives? What do you do? Something has to happen. But the problem is, what is that something? Because, you know, when you do something... And if it means that you give people more freedom to decide to opt out of insurance, well, then it's all you've got millions of people who are losing insurance. So anyhow, the Senate is working on this now. And there's going to be theoretically a proposal is going to be rolled out to the public tomorrow. Um, I'm reaching out to Ron Johnson because I I heard him on CNN today talking about how he just doesn't think they're going to be in a position to vote for it on it one way or the other next week because – you know, nobody's seen it, or only a handful of people have seen it. I think the senator's probably being smart in taking that particular position. But the question is always, the devil is in the detail. So that's going to be the big story, perhaps as soon as tomorrow, uh, the, the Senate rolling out its proposed health care bill. Um, I think some elements are going to come as a surprise, maybe to even some Republican senators. But something has to happen, and tomorrow's going to be a big day. <laughs> 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ. It's one of my favorite songs, Smuggler's Blues by the late Glenn Fry. Okay, remember a while back, there was a, a lawsuit, class action lawsuit, filed on behalf of all of us who have ever eaten at a Subway restaurant, and the allegations were Subway was defrauding the public because their foot-long subs didn't always measure a foot long. And what Subway said is, well, we have the standard. It just it just kind of depends on what happens to the bread once the bread gets baked. You know, we we bake these things right. It's it's kind of like the quarter pounder. It, it you know it all starts out the same, but it it might end up not quite being a quarter pound. But the argument was, okay, we're being defrauded. And Subway would say again, you know, bread bread bakes differently. You know, different. Types of bread break differently. You know, the sandwiches all start out the same. But, yes, it is possible that instead of getting a foot-long sub, yours could be 11 and three-quarters inches. And so, you know, we need, you know, we are being defrauded. Well, you know, ultimately that, that case was settled pretty much for a nuisance type of thing. All right, here is the latest. And the Journal Sentinel has this story. Um, Menards and Home Depot have been sued in federal court. Um, down in Illinois, it is the same Chicago law firm that represents the place plaintiffs in each case. Each suit seeks more than $5 million. Okay, so why are they being sued? Well, here's the way the Journal Sentinel reports it. Menards and Home Depot stand accused of deceiving the, lum- the lumber-buying public, specifically buyers of 4 by 4 boards, the big brother to the ubiquitous 2 by 4 
the alleged deception the retailers market and sell the hefty lumber as four by fours without specifying that the boards actually measure three and a half inches by three and a half inches. So they're telling people these are four by fours, but actually it's three and a half by three and a half. All right. So here's what. All right. So, okay, this this is it. Um, then the allegations are the defendants, the Home Depot Menards, have received significant profits from its false marketing and sale of its dimensional lumber products. The action contains contends defendants' representations as to the dimensions of these product products were false and misleading. That's what they claim. So millions of dollars, we the lumber buying public are being deceived, supposedly because. They're marketed as four by fours, but they're actually only three and a half by, by three and a half. Okay, so what's going on here? Well, the retailers say that it is common knowledge and longstanding industry practice that names like two by four or four by four do not describe the width and the thickness of those pieces of lumber. Rather, the retailers say these are nominal designations accepted in government-approved industry standards, which also specify actual minimum dimensions, one and a half by three and a half by for a two by four, and three and a half by three and a half by a four by four. So, in other words, in the industry, it is generally understood, and the government sets these minimum regulations. It's generally understood that what you commonly refer to as a four by four is actually going to be three and a half. By three and a half, um, a carpentry instructor for MATC says anybody who's in the trades or constructions, you know, knows knows that um, that that's that's just the way that like four by four or two by four. It's just this kind of like general reference to something. The people who are suing say, you know, they don't argue that these boards aren't the correct sides under. Department of Commerce sizes under Department of Commerce standards. So they say yes, these these businesses are doing you know what, yes, what they're doing is it is complying. It's within government standards, but they say that that's deceiving, you know, the general public who doesn't know about these government standards. Okay, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, now I admit I am not a carpenter. Don't do carpentry and really. Don't have never sat down myself to measure whether a four by four is actually three and a half by three and a half. But apparently what Menards and what Home Depot is doing is these they're saying these are generic. These are sort of general terms and there are minimum government standards and four by fours really aren't four by fours. And we're not defrauding anybody. This lawsuit says, wait a second. Wait a second. You're claiming it's four by four. People are, in fact, being deceived. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Are we being ripped off? I will tell you where I come down on this, but I want to hear your opinion on this first. 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. Is this an effort to try to win the legal lottery and extort money from some home supply companies, or do they have a point? Have all of you who have purchased boards from Home Depot or Menards or anywhere else where they do this, have we been being ripped off for all these years, and should they have to pay millions of bucks? We discuss next. It's 1040. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1044, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Now, I confess I've, I've learned something in this segment. Um, I, 
I, I don't work in construction, but um, two by fours, like pieces of wood, two by fours, actually, according to industry standards and government regulation, they're not actually two by four. They're uh, the standard is they're actually one and a half inches by three and a half inches, but they're referred to as two by fours. Similarly, four by fours aren't four inches by four inches. They're actually three and a half inches by three and a half inches. And if you work in the industry, you apparently know that. I talk about this because there's now been a class action lawsuit demanding $5 million from Menards and Home Depot filed against those companies alleging, hey, they're selling these boards that are industry standard, but they're selling them as two-by-fours or four-by-fours, and they're actually not two-by-four or four-by-four. The case that they're actually three-and-a-half by three-and-a-half, and people are being defrauded and give us millions of dollars. Okay, does this lawsuit have merit? Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're first. Good morning. Um, Hi, Mike. In, I think you read it in your own lawsuit in, when you were reading their complaint. They called it dimensional lumber. Right. It's dimensionally the same size, dimensionally the same as two inches by four inches. It's just one and a half by three and a half. It's been like that for at least forty years because I'm fifty and I don't ever remember working with full size unless I went out and ordered it special. Um, it, it, maybe the lawyers have never touched a piece of lumber before, mm-hmm. but you know if you're cutting, if you're building something and you haven't measured it correctly, well, it's your fault. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. So, so I mean, in in the industry, anybody who knows what they're doing, it, it's everybody would know that this is going to be again. It's going to be three and a half by three and a half, not four by four. Yeah. That's you would yeah. know that. I mean, even on the DIY shows, we talk about that. Right. So, as far as you're concerned, this is not misrepresentation. This is just somebody trying to win the legal lottery. Oh yeah. Okay, good enough. Thanks to call 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's see, our text line has exploded. I'd be very angry if I purchased lumber that wasn't per industry standards. Ridiculous lawsuit, and it's time these law firms suffer some financial penalties. Um, uh, let's see, 414-799-1620. Let's talk to, um, okay, Jim in Pewaukee. Jim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. I'm not going to say this necessarily requires a lawsuit, but I'll tell you that I've worked with wood for more years than I care to admit to, and the most ridiculous, and with all due respect to the first caller there, there is no good reason, keyword being good, to reference, and I guess the scapegoat is people refer to it as dimensional lumber, there's absolutely no good reason to refer to a 2x4 that's an actual piece of wood, finished wood of 1.5 by 3.5, as a 2x4. And if you go into Home Depot, and a lot of these, the, they, they better serve themselves by actually listing these dimensions, the real, quote, dimensions in the dimensional lumber as it lays. They do it with almost every other piece of wood they have in stock, including all their molding. They'll refer to it as a, by their exact dimensions. And, and, and right, I mean, industry people know this. But that doesn't mean it's kind of like the standardization system and, you know, the, the U.S. standard system. Just because something exists doesn't necessarily mean it's right, and I don't think anybody should be making money off this, but sometimes you need a little bit of a push to move some common sense into this. Just your listeners all picked up. It gets even more convoluted as you get into larger dimensional lumber, because then, it, you know, you, you, to a layman right now, you'd think, oh, you just chop a half inch off, and that's what it is. That's not necessarily true. As you move up in larger dimensional lumber, those chasms get wider and even longer and, and, and larger. So it, it just doesn't make sense. I guess is is that an argument though? 
is that an argument for like revamping the entire industry? And if the general accepted thing is like two by fours are kind of like a generic sort of term, is that a well, is is that a better argument for like the whole industry needing to revamp its standards? Because if you if you actually made them two by four instead of what they are now or four by four, and and you were trying to build something, you didn't know what you were doing, you'd end up having too much lumber, wouldn't you? Right. No, I get it. Okay. Thank you. Well, and that's and again, I I don't. Okay. As, as somebody who doesn't work in the trades, and I I don't. I guess I don't have a position on that one way or the other. I guess I'm just not. I I don't. I look at this and I'm thinking. Okay, five million dollars a piece. I don't believe consumers are being defrauded. Just like I didn't think. Okay, the idea that it's a foot long sub and it turns out to be. Because they bake the bread, it turns out to be like 11 and three quarters inches. I don't feel I'm being defrauded. And I do kind of sympathize. If if this industry standard is two by four is kind of, or four by four is sort of a generic term. It's a general reference because it's easier to say two by four than it is to say three and a half by three and a half. But everybody who works in the trades and the government standards are a two by four is really, or a four by four is three and a half by three and a half. And that's how it's measured. Um, if you want to talk about changing the standards, that might be fine. But I guess I just look at this. Sounds to me like it is a generic term that people who know what they're doing understand. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty is the number. Um, let's talk to. Uh, let's see, uh, Rick in Juneau. Rick, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think? Yeah, I've been. I swung a hammer for forty years. We all know that it's a nominal dimension lumber size. Um, even a piece of half-inch plywood is not a true half-inch. It's actually a 30-second less. And I don't, it's been like that for as long as I can remember, and I'm like 40-some years, and it, right. it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, you can tell by even looking at it, and I don't know. It doesn't really surprise me that this lawsuit's coming out of Chicago. I well, guess if you're goofy enough to live in Chicago, you're goofy enough not to know the board size. Okay. Well, let me let me let me let me play devil's advocate with you, Rick. Let, let's assume you've got somebody like me who you know, can barely figure out you know which end of a hammer is the end you got to use. And so, for sure. some reason, I decide I'm going to undertake some sort of construction project. I want to I want to build something. So I go out and I kind of measure and I figure out what you know how big I want it to be and i think i'm buying two by four pieces of lumber and i measure out how much i think i need and it turn or four by four let's say and i and i end up coming up short i mean am i being defrauded by this because you know i i i do i've, I've measured this out i don't know about the industry standards you know am i being ripped off no not at all because for one thing i actually work for menards i drive truck for them right right Oops, I'm sorry. Okay, you're, we, we lost your – you kind of faded out there. Um, I don't think you're being ripped off either. I mean, to me, I, I guess, again, this is from my perspective as somebody who's not in the construction industry, but I, I view this as kind of a generic term. And as long as what they are selling is 
whatever the industry standard is. This okay, we call it a four by four. We call it a two by four, and but it's actually not technically two by four as long as they are selling whatever the industry standard is so the representation if you're if i'm reading the the do-it-yourself thing and it says you need six two by fours all right so as i go to menards i buy six two by fours and it's going to fit right all right that's to me that's the thing and i i agree if if they were selling stuff that wasn't industry standard no i want it to be exactly you know four by four instead of three and a half by three and a half um then I think there might be an issue. 414-799-1620 is the number. Let's talk to Bill in South Milwaukee. Bill, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. So uh, the thing is, it is an industry standard. The the 4x4, the 2x4, they start out rough cut out of the mill. Okay? Right. Then they go through a planer, and they end up in a case of a 2x4, one and a half by three and a half. Right. Uh, it's been that way for decades. It's understood. The thing is, is that if people are going to go ahead and take on projects, what they really need to do is educate themselves first. Right. Uh, and that goes with anything. Um, to, to think that there's some sort of, uh, you know, Deception. somebody defrauding somebody, that's ridiculous. Right. Kind of like, okay, when Subway makes the foot-long sandwiches, the bread starts out as a foot long, but when they put it in the oven and it bakes, sometimes there's shrinkage. So it might actually turn out to be, you know, um, 11 and three quarters inches, not 12 inches, but it starts out at a foot. Right, right, yeah. exactly. Got it. Okay, thanks. I mean, I guess that's, I mean, as long as what they are selling is what the industry and the government refers to as, as two by fours, it's just tough for me to figure out how people are, are being defrauded. Kent in Milwaukee. Kent, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. You know, after all these years, I can't believe this is the topic I finally called on. But anyway, Bill <laughs> <laughs> uh, really stole some of my thunder there, Jeff, because uh, what he said was absolutely true. People have to understand, where does wood come from? Trees. Come from trees. Right. <laughs> you got to cut down a tree. Now you've got a log. Now you've got to get that log cut to size, and it goes to the sawmill. And at the sawmill, they're cut two by four. They're cut four by four, and that's a really pretty rough cut. You're not going to want to use that lumber. Now it's got to get dried because, you know, trees are living things, and they got to dry that wood out in order for it, you know, so you stick it in the kiln or some places air dry it. I've actually gotten lumber from a sawmill for a project that I did once, and I got it rough for a reason, and it was two by four. Actually, actually physically two by four. Okay, got it physically measured two by four and like bill said then it goes through a planer because you're not going to want to buy that rough cut lumber at menards it goes through a planer so that now you got a nice smooth surface on your nice little two by four that you're going to be using for your project but in order to do that they got to take some wood off right and when they take that wood off you end up with the dimensional lumber that everybody that's ever worked with wood knows jeff i knew when i was about five years old <laughs> that a two by four didn't measure two inches by by four inches after it's been through the planer and right. it's for sale retail. Right. So that that's what we're dealing with here. And what you got is a bunch of people that don't know anything about what you're talking about. And they're trying to get, like you always call it, the, the, Le- lo- the, legal, win the lottery. legal lottery, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And anybody that's ever built anything out of wood knows that when whatever's called a one by six or a two by four or whatever it happens to be, doesn't measure that actual measurement because it's been through a planer 
to give you a nice smooth board to work with. Right, it's what it started out with. It's what exactly. it start, started out at that level. Right, thanks. Yeah. Right, see, I, I, I agree. I mean, as long as they are selling stuff, and the, the, the lawyers admit what they're selling is within, it's what the industry describes. Now, I think you have a different argument if, if again, the government regulations say 4 by 4 is supposed to be 3 and a half by 3 and a half, and they're they're consistently selling lumber that's only three by three, let's say. Well, that's a different story if they're not selling it within government specifications. But if the industry standard and the government regulations say what we call a four by four actually measures this and you're selling lumber that is cut within those measurements, I just don't see how that you're being ripped off on our text line. I have known that two by four really wasn't two by four for at least 30 years. I am not in the industry and I am a woman. (laughs) Patty in Lake Mills. Patty, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, I uh, echo the last few callers that I heard on the phone here. But I wanted to mention that if you go into a house, in the 1800s built house, you will find real 4x4s and real 2x4s because they used to be that size in the 1800s before they did all that planing the last I talked about. So that's where the term 4x4 and 2x4 came from. But then as the industry improved, like the last the last caller right. was right, on, on, right. on track. But since then, they just kept the term. And I've been using wood since 1980, and it was already, you know, the new Plain, way. Yeah, right. And people just knew that. The other thing that I think is really wrong with this lawsuit is to pick two companies who happen to have deep pockets, and we right. all know that they do, and and pick them to pick on when the whole industry is doing the same thing. If right. you well, want to argue this, then argue it for the whole industry. Right, because what you're saying is that you could, if you were going to bring this lawsuit, and, and maybe that's what they're looking for, maybe if, if we can try to force Menards and Home Depot to settle, that's just going to be open the floodgates, and then we'll go after you know any place, whether it's you know Handy Andy or anybody that sells lumber, here we can go after them and we can try to force a settlement. Oh, thanks for call. And that, that's about, that's what's going on here. I mean, that is what's going on here. And again, if you if you want to argue that we should call four by fours, three and a halfs by three and a halfs, okay, th- then we can have that argument. But I agree with you completely, Patty, to single out these two businesses and to say, okay, you're meeting government standards, but you're defrauding people. Give me a break. It's 1058. It's 1109. This is Jeff Wagner. So, Colleen, you know what the number one question I'm being asked today? I'm, at my, I'm actually, well, th- this topic we just talked about, about whether two by fours or two by fours has exploded the text line. But but up until that, the number one question I've gotten over the last 24 hours constantly from people. What? How much? Ch- we talked, you and I talked. How much change did I take in yesterday? See, to yeah. the bank? It, you know, during this segment of the program yesterday, I asked you, you know, what you do with change. And there's actually a front page story in the paper today about what we talked about yesterday. But I, um, I, I Bimo Harris is. I have accounts at a couple different banks, but BMO Harris is one. And what I do is, and what I've always done is I, it's kind of like one of my savings plans. Every day when I go home, I clean out my pockets and whatever change I have, I put it in a plastic cup that actually Ron Johnson gave me when he first ran for office. It's a Ron Johnson cup that his plastic <laughs> manufacturing company made. And it's got like 3D image, but that's it. The change goes into that in my office when the plastic cup, and it's like a pint cup, when it gets filled, I dump it into one of two giant plastic jars that I, and these are big plastic jars that I have on the um, uh, this fireplace up in the family room. And then when the two get filled up, 
both of them. I, I take them in. So I was at uh, the bank the other day, and they had this big sign, BMO Harris, saying, effective July 31st, they are no longer going to be offering this coin counting service. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I asked them, I said, is it just at some of these branches? And they said, no. And the story in the paper today says they're just they're just not going to do it at any of their branches in North America. So I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. Um, so it motivated me yesterday. Went home put some stuff in the car that was going to take to goodwill and i grabbed these two jugs of change and i figured now i understand on the one i mean to me it's a service that a bank should provide but i guess they get to decide whether you want they want to do it and people get to decide where they want to bank um but i i did i I intentionally i picked uh what i thought would be a dead time i walked in it's like two o'clock on a tuesday afternoon and there's only one other person waiting in line so i wasn't taking a lot of time and the guy the the man behind the counter who i know couldn't have been happy couldn't have been nicer no no problem so as a matter of fact, I could only lift one of these jugs at a time. It was so heavy that I had to make two trips. You know, and he was great. He said, "Okay, no, here, just leave this one here, Mr. Wagner, and here, go go get the other one and bring it in." So um, now I disclosed this earlier, um, but the number one question I've been getting is how much change I had. Would you like to take a guess? You, we didn't, it's probably not fair because you didn't see the size of the jugs. No, I haven't. Um, oh gosh, over a hundred, I would think. Seven hundred thirty-three dollars <gasps> and ninety-six cents. That's a lot of change. That it's seven hundred thirty-three. <laughs> yeah, the, the, actually, the guy said, "We want to guess," and I said, "Well, I think it's a, now the, the most I've ever had was like eight hundred and some, but that was when both of the things were filled, and this was one was completely filled and was about ninety percent filled, but seven hundred thirty-three dollars and ninety-six cents. Yeah, and get your change in there while you can, because I saw those same signs at the same bank not long ago, and I was very surprised. It's right. a bank, you know, it's money, right? Count it, right? Don't you think they should count it? Well, I mean, I think their their argument they use uses that fewer and few people use coins, but people collect. I mean, people have coins. What are you supposed to do with them? And they say you can, if you roll them up or whatever. I'm not going to roll up. That's that's silly. I mean, <laughs> and, and but no, but I will tell you. I mean, this is one of these things that if certain banks and again i'm not being critical a bank can make a decision whatever services they want to provide bank wants to close a branch office they get the right to do it but this is one of those things to me where it, it creates opportunities for other banks or credit unions or savings and loans to say okay this is this is a service it is a bank it is a savings and loan whatever and we're willing to do it now they're also i'm Told that there's change counters at some places like WalMarts or things like that, but you pay 11 percent. Right, you, cha- you right. You've always paid a fee at those things. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's like okay, so right. It's, so I have you know 733 dollars. Am I going to pay 73 dollars? You know, for <laughs> I mean, that's it. Well, it's, it's 11. It's like 11, 10 or 11 percent. So this wow. is take 10 percent. So yeah, you've got you're like me. You got 733 dollars. Um, you know. Well, you know, you're going to pay, you know, 10%. You're going to pay 70 bucks for that right. I think a lot of coins are about to go back into circulation, though, knowing that these coin counters are going away. But no, I I mean, I I think, again, it's it's kind of like this is, okay, when, when you had the explosion of, for example, national chain drugstores, yeah, when you think about ten percent, I mean, if you got seven hundred dollars in coins, I mean, that's seventy bucks. That's a lot of money. Plus, you know, that's a lot of money. But anyhow, when you think about like the explosion of like the chain drugstores, like the Walgreens or the CVS or whatever, it presented a challenge 
And, you know, like local drug stores continue to exist and flourish because they're able to provide that extra service. So I, I just raise this as an issue. I'm, I'm not complaining about the banks because Chase got rid of coin counters apparently a couple of years ago. Um, some others, like U.S. Bank, I think hasn't completely gotten rid of them, but they don't have them in all the branches. So you have to ask around. And BMO Harris is getting rid of them all. Um, again, I just, it's, you know, they have a right to do it, but this is perhaps an opportunity. But in any event... If you weren't listening earlier, seven hundred thirty-three dollars and ninety-six cents. Woohoo! All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty is the number. Uh, here's the story. Fox Six had it, and it caught my attention. Let me share it with you, and then there's an aspect of the story I want to talk about. A car, a car, barreled through a home and tore through three yards in Bayview, Hondo, your neck of the woods, not far from where you live. A car barreled through a home and tore through three yards in Bayview after a driver led police on a chase early Tuesday morning. Several people were hurt after the pursuit that spanned two cities. All right. Apparently what happened um, about 1 o'clock in the morning is, is where this starts. Police say the car ended up hitting a home after careening through three yards near Superior and Knock in Milwaukee before coming to arrest. Dashcam video captured the point where the driver and the passenger, both from Milwaukee, took off after police tried to stop them for speeding on South Lake Drive in St. Francis. Okay, so what happens is it's 1 o'clock in the morning. You have these people, they're speeding down the road. Um, it is, by the way, a stolen car. More on that in just a second. Cops try to pull it over. It takes off, and this is 1 o'clock in the morning, goes through yards, slams into a home. All right. Here Now, you might say to me, Jeff, why are we talking about this? We know people run all the time in Milwaukee. This is a common sort of thing. Okay, here's the dazzling detail. The driver was 15 years old. He and another 15-year-old passenger were on the roads at 1 a.m. These are two 15-year-olds that are out there. Apparently, what happened is the two 15-year-olds stole the car. Well, I'm going to use the term stole. The vehicle belonged to the passenger's father and was taken without his knowledge or consent. So these two 15-year-olds, it's 1 in the morning. They steal, take one of their dad's cars and go off on a high-speed joyride. They try to flee from the cops after the cops try to pull them over, go through these yards, and end up slamming into a house. Both teens were taken to the hospital after suffering minor injuries. Um, Let's see. Uh... Significant damage was done to the house. Um, The police say they're glad that the kids were not injured worse, but they'd like to remind folks that there's nothing fun about illegal joyriding. They say the case is being reviewed by the Milwaukee County District Attorney's offices for possible charges of operating a motor vehicle without an owner's consent, fleeing, eluding an officer, and second-degree recklessly endangering safety. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Two 15-year-olds, 
This isn't like they carjacked a car, but they do. They they take one of their dad's cars. They go off on this high speed joyride, putting people's lives in danger at one o'clock in the morning. They try to flee from police when the cops come after them. They drive through yards, they slam into a house, and then they still try to run away. They are ultimately apprehended. Now the DA and the court system has to decide what to do with them. I have a simple solution. I don't know that this is what the system is going to do. I treat these kids as adults. I prosecute them, and I get some form of commitment from them. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is not joyriding. This is recklessly endangering safety. And there needs to be consequences for it. And just don't do this again or make restitution, I think, is inadequate. I think you treat these kids as adults and you prosecute them. This is reckless. It is dangerous. It needs to be stopped. And there needs to be consequences. And simply putting these kids into juvenile court and slapping them on the wrist and saying, don't do this, I don't think that is sufficient. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you prosecute these joyriders to the fullest extent of the law, or do you just say, oh, boys will be boys, and send them on their merry way? We discuss next. It's 1120. If you're on the line, please throw on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1122. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I think what bothers me, there's a lot of things that bother me about the story. What are two 15-year-olds doing out at 1 o'clock in the morning, driving a car that they've boosted from one of their parents, why don't mom and dad know they're out there? But okay, kids can sneak out. But this description, okay, it's joyriding. No, this isn't joyriding. Driving on a high rate of speed down uh, South Lake Drive in St. Francis, that's not joyriding. Fleeing from the police when they try to pull you over isn't joyriding. Driving through people's yards and smashing into somebody's house and then trying to run away, that's not joyriding. And we minimize it when we describe it as such. Yeah, I know this kind of sounds harsh, but I think these two punks deserve to be prosecuted as, and I candidly, I think I treat them as adults. Um, this is not, it's certainly the driver. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Peggy in Wauwatosa. Peggy, you're in 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Put him in jail one year. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, it's pretty sad. I guess the parents need to sleep with their keys under the pillow i i guess i I mean i don't i don't know about you peggy but it wouldn't have occurred to me when i was 15 years old if i was um i i don't know if if one if, if my buddy evan was over at my place it wouldn't have occurred to me to steal my father's car keys then go off driving in his car, <laughs> and then when the cops tried to pull us over to flee at a high rate of speed, it wouldn't have crossed my mind to do that. But maybe that was just me. And I think they should get a big fine that they pay, not the parents. Yeah, well, good luck. I mean, thank you. Yeah, well, well, good luck with that. I mean, but but again, this this is enjoy right. I look, I appreciate a good prank as well as the next person. And look, and I understand there's always going to be okay kids that try to grab mom or dad's car or whatever, and and you want to take it. But but a joy ride is taking the car around the block. The joy ride isn't speeding down South Lake Drive, putting innocent people's lives in danger, running from the police. Now, of course, I understand that is now the common thing among kids or young people or even older people. You run from the police and you see if they will chase you but this this was reckless and i'm glad the kids weren't hurt look i'm glad they're not hurt i'm glad they didn't hit and kill somebody but they they could have 
I mean, there could have been somebody crossing the street. There could have been somebody walking their dog. I understand it's 1 o'clock in the morning. It is nothing short of a miracle that people aren't dead here, and there needs to be consequences for these punks. Dave on the south side. Dave, you're on 620 WTMJ. Yeah, Dave. Uh, it, chances of that going to a dog court, Jeff, are like 2%. Yep. Because he didn't use a gun. They didn't use any weapons. And that's that's, that's going to be the biggest uh, thing the lawyers will say right away. Because there's people every day using car, uh, weapons to carjack people. Mm-hmm. In the Milwaukee County, that's that. Oh no, no, you understand, right? The policy in Milwaukee, you're right. The policy in Milwaukee County, as a general rule for juveniles, is you steal a car. We're we're not going to waive you into adult court. Now, in this case, there was there's the high speed chase, there's the reckless driving. They could do it if they wanted to, but that's that's a big if when you look at John Chisholm's use of priorities in the DA's office. I agree with you. Yeah, but the question is, should they? Uh, Yeah, they should, but adult. Adult court first for the people that have guns that threaten people first. That's the first. Um, no, thank, well, right, right, right. I mean, look, and I, I understand. And one of the things that I believe that has led to the proliferation of car theft. Now, this this is a different kind of car. This is they, they grabbed that the keys of of one of they, they grabbed like one of the family cars. Okay, so this is different than stealing somebody else's car. But you know, even if you put that aside, it's the endangering safety. It's the reckless driving. It's that type of stuff. And one of the problems that I think one of the reasons you have so many ju- juvenile stealing cars is they know that under John Chisholm's catch and release policy, as a general rule, you're not going to get. They're not going to try to waive you into adult court. Um, you can steal twenty cars, and you're not going to get waived into adult court. The DA's office is going to try to do it. The juvenile court judges aren't going to go along with this. So that's part of the reality. So that is emboldening more people. But but really, Cindy in Franklin, Cindy, kind of your neck of the woods. Good morning. Good morning. My comment today is: Don't these kids get away with it if they're not prosecuted? I mean, they were fleeing the police. They were on a high speed chase. They were trying to get away. And if we don't prosecute them, don't they get away with it? Yep. There's there's no lesson there. None. Yeah, right, right. And even if you, okay, you bring them into juvenile court, and so then they're essentially told, don't do this again, and they're put on double secret probation. Um, but th- this was a big deal. Somebody That's could have died. I mean, somebody could have died in this very easily. you got to do something, it seems to me. Absolutely. And if they're going to act like they're adults or they're going to act like they're criminals, they need to be treated as such. I, I, right. I, I, thank, I, I agree. And to me, the fact that they boosted, in this case, you know, one, one of their parents' cars as opposed to stealing somebody else's car, to me, that doesn't change the dynamic once you start to flee from the cops, once you drive across people's lawns, once you smash into a car, there needs to be a degree of accountability. But mark my words... This is one where there's going to be not, you're not going to hear much about this because the DA's office won't try to waive them into adult court. If they did, the judges wouldn't go along with it. It's going to be, oh, these were just two misunderstood kids out. They, this was just a joyride. This wasn't a joyride, and we shouldn't call it one. 1128, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.
It's 11.36, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. WTMJ's classic free ride is out of our garage and ready to head into yours. You can register online to win the 1968 Valenti Oldsmobile 442 convertible by heading to WTMJ.com. Sponsored by Prescient Financial Solutions with Northwestern Mutual. And don't forget to text the word RIDE to 414-799-1620, and you can check out a photo gallery of what could be your next car. Yeah, we're... um. Uh, our, our free ride promotion this year is going to end a little bit earlier. Normally, in years past, we've run it through July, but because we have our partnership with Summerfest, and this is very, very cool, um, we're going to be giving away the car on the final night of Summerfest, I think at the Briggs and Stratton stage. I think that's what I remember being told. But regardless, we're giving it away at Summerfest on the final night of Summerfest. So um, your chances to register to win um, kind of kind of waning so you want to show up at the different free ride events we have coming out and you'll you'll have chances to register at Summerfest as well okay i believe that the the what we will call the n-word is offensive regardless of who says it um i i don't care whether it's bill maher you know the the you know liberal liberal icon who uses the N-word because he's trying to make a joke. I think it's offensive. Obviously, if it's a white supremacist that uses the N-word, I think that is offensive. And and candidly, I mean, I understand in the black community, there is a, a, there is a disagreement. There are some people who think that that term should just not be used at all, and there's other people who think that it's okay if you are black that you can use that, that term. And 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 of course, that's sort of pop part of the popular culture. And again, I, I don't want to get too much into the society thing and the rappers. But I, personally, I think that's wrong. I think it is an offensive term. And I think it doesn't matter who you are. It, it's offensive and you shouldn't use it. But it's definitely offensive. I think everybody would agree if it's somebody who's not black, you should not use that term. I think it's offensive in general. And I think, again, um, if you have people who are black that use that term, I, I think that that I think that they're making a mistake. I, I think it kind of legitimizes that term. All right, so that that's the background on this. But there's a question about whether there are equivalents. Here's here's the story. There's this woman who was um, a dean at Yale. Okay, this is Yale University, you know, one of the most selective universities in the country. And, and she was a dean at Yale. She was put on leave and has now decided that she's going to leave her post. Here, here's what happened. Her name is June Chu, C-H-U. And I believe, I mean, she is of Asian-American descent. I don't know exactly what, what the descent is, but, but she's of Asian-American descent. She's this, this dean. Um, she got in trouble because she was apparently frequenting local restaurants and she would do reviews on Yelp. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people that go to restaurants and they write th- these reviews. And she was very, very direct in writing reviews. Um, for example, she went to one restaurant and she said, This establishment is definitely not authentic by any stretch of any imagination, and it's perfect for those low-class folks who believe this is a real night out. In other words, this is perfect for anybody who is white trash. So she uses the phrase white trash and gets busted for using this phrase. Now, she was writing a couple other reviews as well that were harsh and very, very critical. But she used the phrase white trash. And Yale said, look, this is this is an offensive, this is an offensive term. 
um, we don't expect, you know, we expect more from the people who are our deans. And so, yeah, they, they, they essentially put her on the bricks, and now she's leaving for using this particular phrase. Now, this is a phrase that I've heard before, and I, I kind of, I do hear regularly. And it's, I, I don't think it has the same status as the N-word, but but you do hear it. You you hear it from all sorts of different people. Now this lady was Asian American. She uses that particular phrase. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay. Is that term the equivalent of the N word? If you are white, is it acceptable to use the phrase white trash? Um if you are non-white, is that a different sort of? Is, should that be viewed in a different sort of level than if you are white? Or is the fact that because you have, you know, whites are the majority in this country, that okay, that's you know, just just get over it. That's a term that is used. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this term, which you hear a lot, is it the equivalent of of the N word? Or is it the equivalent of, you know, fill in the blank, you know, whatever offensive term you want to hear that's used for Asians or whatever. Is this a term that we should start at least saying if people use this, they need to be treated as racists? Or is it different because it refers to the majority? When you hear this phrase, are you offended by it? Is it the equivalent of the N-word? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you where I come down on this, um, and we'll discuss. It's 1142. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1146. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. You know, one of the reasons I bring this up as a topic is I've been thinking about this a lot. Because there there are words and phrases that you can use on the radio that I, I choose not to. For example, the, the phrase P-O'd. You know, and you could actually say what that, that P word is. You, you can say that on the radio. Um, I, I choose not to because I consider it to be a vulgarity, and I just I, I, I choose not to do it. Um, there's this phrase. The phrase is, is white trash, and it, I mean it's out there, and and people use that in a common sort of thing. Um, the reason I bring this up is there's this Asian American dean of students at Yale University who was recently. Put on, you know, put on suspension. Now she's leaving because she goes out and she does this review of a restaurant. She says this is perfect for white trash, and Yale says this is offensive. Um, is that is it is that term the equivalent of of the N word? Does it make a difference if if you are white? Can you say it? If you're not, can you not say it? Um, or does it just make a difference because you, you don't have the history? of um, racial discrimination against white people that you have against black people, so you view it differently. 414-799-1620 is the number. Dave in Elkhorn. Dave, you're first. Good afternoon. Good morning. I'm sorry. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. Yeah, I I have two points. One is that the N-word classes an entire people of color, which makes no, no distinction as to what their decisions are or who they are. It's just because they were born that color that they are somehow degraded because of that and that's ridiculous right right secondly my point is on the white trash i do not find it offensive because it's not the same equivalent right it's a it's a term that that refers to economic or or 
Well, it, it, to an extent, but it also yeah, but it also has a racial component to it. I mean, it's it's not just that person is trash. It's you know that person is white trash. Yeah. But, yeah. but my point, my point is, is that if people who have rejected the idea that they need to take care of their property or they need to take care of themselves or they need to take care of having responsibility, having a job, working and, and doing for themselves and taking care of things, instead they're just plain lazy and sit around and collect money that they didn't earn for no reason at all other than the fact that they just are, don't have the ambition or, or the desire to get out and take care of themselves. Okay. Let me That's ask... My- Okay, let me ask you this. There's a lot of controversy over the term ghetto. That, that's so ghetto, quote-unquote. Um, and, and a lot of people think that that's racist. I was just listening to your description. Um, with, with the, you know, I mean, ghetto is not specific to a particular race, although some people might interpret that. Would, would, you, find that, would you find that term to be offensive? I, I guess not. Not in that context. Okay. Because ghetto refers to an area where you live, and perhaps it may have to do with your decisions that you've made. Okay. No. But, it, but it's not necessarily, your point is, it's not necessarily specific to any particular racial group. You could have white people or Asian people or green people who are quote-unquote ghetto. Okay, yeah, good enough. Thanks. No, thanks. I mean, I, I actually, I wrestle with these terms. I, I do, and that's why I, I wanted to have this discussion, because I have found myself thinking, I don't think I've used that term on the radio in a while, but I, I, I wrestle with the idea of is it is it something is it as offensive to people who are white as the N word legitimately would be to somebody who is black or, you know, fill in the blank other different, you know, slurs that you could use towards um other members of uh you know other other different, you know, minority groups. Maria in Oak Creek. Maria, good morning. You're in six twenty WTMJ. Hi, how are you, Jeff? Real well, thank you. Um, good. Okay, so I would only be offended if I were being called white trash because I'm not trashy. I am white. Right. But the, the stigma that goes with it is the fact that it isn't the fact that I'm white that you're calling me white trash. It's, you know, the choices I'm making, maybe the right. pink top I'm choosing to wear <laughs> or, you know, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, I always do think it's funny, though. I am a teacher, and I taught in a charter school in Milwaukee for years. And um, when children liked me, their parents would never know my ethnicity. And then they'd say, oh, I didn't know you were white. But when students didn't like me, it would always be, oh, that white lady or, oh, right. that white da 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 And all of a sudden, right away, my being white was being used against me in a negative connotation. And I think white trash absolutely nowhere near is the use of the N-word. The N-word is tough, especially from a teacher, because it's like, well, how is a white lady going to tell an African-American student, right. you right. can't use that word, yet right. you know, your parents, you know, where it's like, well, it's not appropriate in this setting, right. where that would always be, but white trash, you know, like, as long as I'm not being called white trash, I use that term Okay, okay that's, see, that, that's, what, that's, see, that's what I was going to ask you next. So you... You would use you feel comfortable using that term if you're if you're sitting at a some festival or something and and yes, you, <laughs> you, you look and say awesome. my gosh that okay all right okay I, all right yes. um, okay no thanks I, I appreciate it um, um, thanks four one four seven nine nine one six I I wrestle with this because I, I I'm and I'm trying 
if you do what I do for a living, when you sit for three and a half hours a day, five hours, five days a week, you're in front of an open microphone, you always wrestle with what the standards are. And, you know, can you use can you use that phrase? If you're white, can I use that phrase? Um, again, and I, I, I think going back to the N-word, I candidly think that, that black people do a huge disservice by those who, who choose to use that word because you tend to normalize it. And I, I candidly, I mean, I understand the argument that it's different if it's coming from someone, from a black person saying it to another black person. It's different. I, I mean, I understand that. But again, I, I think the constant use of that in the culture tends to sort of normalize it, and we shouldn't do it. Is white trash the same? Debbie in Menominee Falls. Debbie, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, I don't think that they're both the same. I think that the white trash refers to actions, whereas the N-word refers to a race. Right. But I don't think, I think it's offensive to use the N-word, whether you're black, white, purple, green, or brown. Right. I think that's offensive. I I don't think the other one is any more offensive than a redneck. Right, you know? and that, that, that's kind of right. That's sort of that's sort of the equivalent, right? I mean, because when I think right. of when I think of that, that term white trash, I, I think of it kind of well. I mean, very similar to to redneck or something but, like that. But the one term that's coming around more and more now that is the most offensive thing okay. I can find. Okay, hold hold on. Am I am I going to have to hit the dump button here? No, <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, no, don't no. don't take it's me down word, this route, please, Debbie. Okay. It says retarded. Oh yeah, right. There, no, there's there, right. It, that's the most offensive one I can think of. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it, I mean, I have, I'll tell you, I mean, thanks for the call, Debbie. I have, I have intentionally, I do not use that, that term. I'm not saying that I, I never did, but um, I, I, I don't use, I don't use that term anymore. I don't use it in either on the radio or I, I don't use it in real life. Now, because, again, I understand there's a certain stigma, stigma and maybe that's a, that's a word that 10 or 15 years ago somebody would go, oh, that's so retarded. But now it, it has taken on that connotation, and you, 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 you have people who I think have raised a legitimate concern over that. So that's a word that I've, I've just removed from my venue. I don't, to answer this question, I've been, I continue to wrestle with this. I, I don't use, other than if we're discussing it in a cut here, I don't use that phrase certainly on the radio because I think some people might be offended by it and there's other ways to communicate what I'm thinking of. I don't think it is the equivalent of, of the N word though. But at the same time, I, I do understand if you're, for example, you're the dean of students at Yale and we're preaching you know, diversity and we're preaching tolerance and we're preaching understanding, I do think it is unseemly for somebody who is apparently, of, in this case she's, I think, of, of Asian-American descent, to start you know, using that term referring to other people. So I understand why it got her in trouble. Context is, is everything. It's not the equivalent of the N-word, but... You don't hear it coming out of my mouth very often. It's 11, and certainly, again, unless we're discussing on the radio in this context, you're, you're not going to hear it, I guarantee you.